0: First time this morning, or maybe you've not been to church for a little while, Um, we're traveling through the book of Leviticus, which is a very odd book, and this morning we've come to chapter 11. And so just a little bit of context, um, God's people had been slaves in Egypt, and he brought them out of Egypt, he rescued them, and he was going to bring them to the land of Canaan, but in between Egypt and Canaan, they were in the wilderness, And in the wilderness, he gave them his laws at Sinai, the Ten Commandments and other commandments. He also had the tabernacle set up in the midst of them. And Leviticus, they began to worship God. We saw the first worship service last week. And there's all of these sacrifices. And now we come to the next part of Leviticus where God begins to give the people some instructions for everyday life. And if you read through chapters 11 through to 15, you will find some of the strangest verses in all of the Bible. So that's a challenge for you. Read those read those chapters in the coming weeks. Um, but this morning we're coming to Leviticus chapter 11, uh, which is all of the food laws. And part of me thinks I've maybe bitten off more than I can chew this morning. Excuse the pun? Oh, oh, man. (laughs) But but we are going to pray just now and ask the Lord to feed us from his word and to help us digest what he might want to say to us. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So Lord God, as we come now to receive the food of your word, would you feed us, would you nourish us, so that we might be refreshed and strengthened, and instructed for the week ahead, and to live life for you, speak this. We pray this morning through your holy word in Jesus' name, Amen. I wonder, have you heard of any of these diets? I wonder, have you been on any of these diets? It's the paleo diet. Anyone? The vegan diet, the Ducan diet, the lactose-free diet, the gluten-free diet, the Atkins diet, the keto diet. I mean, the list of diets goes on and on and on and on and on, doesn't it? There's one called, I think, the California Beach diet. I wouldn't mind trying that one myself. But diets, they're just a part of life. Sometimes diets are self-imposed, aren't they? We say, look, we're going to do this for us. We're going to go on this diet for us. And then sometimes diets are imposed by someone else. Sometimes our doctor will tell us you need to cut this out of your diet, you need to cut this out of the diet, or you need to eat more of this. Well, here in Leviticus chapter 11, we have a God-imposed diet. Now, diets—they have a very simple way of working. There's foods that you're not allowed to eat. There's foods that you are allowed to eat. And then there's the purpose, there's the reason why you're not allowed these things and why you are allowed these things. So the keto diet, for example. It's high fat, that sounds good. Low carb, not so good, but the keto diet, the purpose of it is to actually help with epilepsy. You've got the Atkins diet, low carbohydrate, high protein and the purpose is to lose some weight. Diets are very simple. There's the food you're allowed. There's the food you're not allowed, and then there is the reason why you're allowed or not allowed these foods. Now, when it comes to Leviticus chapter 11, I think the first two parts, what you're allowed and what you're not allowed, are pretty easy to work out. If you have a look at chapter 11, you'll see that it's broken up into a number of things. So basically, in the first part, there are the land animals that God's people were allowed to eat and the land animals that they weren't. So if you have a look at the text with me there, you'll see it there. You may eat, verse 3, any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and that chews the cud. So if you have a look at this diagram, it will give you an idea of what land animals, if you were one of God's people, you were allowed to eat. It had to have split hooves, so the animal had to have hooves that were divided completely into two, and then it also had to chew the cud. Chew the cud? What on earth is chewing the cud? Well, chewing the cud is kind of like regurgitating food. You chew it for a bit, they swallow it, they bring it back up, they chew it some more, swallow it, bring it back up. Sounds a bit gross, but that's basically what chewing the cud was. They were vegetarian animals that chewed the cud. And so God says to his people, listen, when it comes to what you're having for dinner, you know, what type of steak you're thinking of having, make sure that the steak, whatever animal it's from, has a cloven hoof and also chews the cud's. So God's people, if they were you know, exposed to a zoo, they could have antelope and they could have cows and they could have deer and they could have elks and they could have gazelles and they could have goats and they could have moose and they could have sheep. I mean, there were a lot of animals they could have. But if an animal didn't have divided hooves or an animal didn't chew the cud, then they couldn't have it. No badgers for dinner, unfortunately. No bears, no camels, no cats. I don't like cats, but I definitely wouldn't want to eat one. No dogs, no donkeys, no elephants, no gorillas, no horses, no kangaroos, no llamas, no mice, no rats, no monkeys, no pigs. I would struggle with that one. No pigs, no bacon, no sausages. But they were given this instruction. Okay, you're allowed to eat the animals that have the cloven hooves and chew the cud, but anything that doesn't have either of these or both of these, then you cannot eat. And then he goes on in the next part, in verse 9, and he talks about the animals that are in the water. The fish and the things in there. And again, he makes it very simple. Okay, folks, if it has scales and fins, you can eat it. If it doesn't have scales and fins, if it doesn't have both of those, though, then you can't. The good news is we can have cod. You can go down to the Bethany and get your fish and chips. It's all good. It's all safe if you're one of the people in Leviticus. You can have mackerel in the summer when I catch them for you. You can eat your mackerel. You can have anchovies on your pizza. You can have halibut and herring and perch and pollock and salmon and sardines and trout and tuna and all those good fish. But I'm afraid you can't have crabs or dolphins or eels or lobsters or prawns or seals or sharks or shellfish, not even clams or oysters. You can't have squid And you can't even eat wheels. So there you go. And then in verse 13, then he starts to talk about the the birds in the air that you can and can't eat. And if you have a look there, he doesn't give a specific thing, but he lists some. And, And the difference between the birds that you can and you can't eat is that the birds that you couldn't eat were the birds that ate dead carcasses. Carrion eating birds. God said you couldn't eat. He said that these were unclean. So the good news, you can have your chicken dinner You can have your duck and pancakes, you can have your geese and pheasants, you can have your quails and your turkeys, thankfully a Christmas isn't ruined. But you can't have cranes or crows or eagles or falcons or hawks or kites or magpies, oils, ravens, seagulls, storks, vultures, and the list of these type of birds goes on. God was very clear. He said to his people living in the desert, there are some things that you can eat, they are clean, and there are some things that you cannot eat. They are unclean. Now, my guess is that whenever we hear those words clean and unclean, we kind of think of dirty. You know, we think of dirty, don't we? That's what we think. Clean is clean, and and unclean is dirty. And so we kind of think that God's saying that these animals are dirty in the unclean category, but, but that's not really what God is talking about. You see, if you had a pig, okay, and you took the pig into a jacuzzi with you, and you opened up a, a bottle of parcel, and you put the parcel in the jacuzzi with you and the pig, and you scrubbed the pig everywhere, and it was pristine, it would still be unclean. It's not about dirt. It's not about filth. The terms clean and unclean are, are getting across something else. You see, if you read the book of Leviticus, you'll see three words used over and over and over again, and they're coming up on the screen. You'll see the word holy used. You'll see the word clean used and you'll see the word unclean used. And it's if you imagine these are on a spectrum so over here you've got holy, okay? And that's kind of way down at this end of the room. And anything that was holy, that belonged completely to God. Anything that was holy was completely his for his use only. So the things in the tabernacle, they were holy. They were only for God. They weren't to be used for anything else. So on one end of the scale, you've got things that are holy. They only belong to God. Okay, you with me so far? Okay, then you go on to clean. And clean were things that, after ritual, could be brought into God's presence. So these were things that were acceptable to God and could be brought into God's presence. Okay? So they, they're clean. They can be made acceptable to God. But then, in the far end of things, you've got things that were unclean. And these unclean things could not be brought into God's presence. These unclean things were not allowed near God's tabernacle, they weren't allowed near God's presence. Now, some unclean things could be cleaned up and made clean and then brought into God's presence, but some unclean things, especially these animals, there was no way for them to ever enter God's presence. Now, you're looking at me confused, and I understand that it is confusing, but if you just remember, holy, belonging to God and only God, clean could be acceptable to God, and unclean down the far end of the scale. Now, in the passage, and now we're going to get to the passage, what God is then saying, go on to the next slide, is that his people are holy. They belong to him. He has rescued them from Egypt. He has made them his possession. They are his. They belong to him. And so the animals that are clean, they are the animals that he allows to be present in their stomachs. They are the animals that that he says are acceptable for them to eat. And then the unclean animals... They are not allowed to be present within his people. They're not allowed in their stomachs. They're not allowed in the stomach that belongs to God. So that's it. God's people living in the wilderness. God says, here's the animals that are clean and you can eat, and here's the animals that you're not allowed to. And you're all thinking, Marty, why on earth are we looking at this this morning? And you've got a good reason to ask that. Why are we looking at this this morning? Well, before we answer that question, let's answer another question. Why did God give them these rules? I mean, what's wrong with eating elephant? What's wrong with eating wheel? What's wrong with it? Why did He say that these things weren't allowed to be eaten? Well, I'd love to tell you that I've got the definitive answer, and I can tell you 100% why, but I can't. So I'm going to give you some answers that are possible. And then I'm going to give you one answer that's definitely part of the, of the definite answer. So here's some reasons that are possible. Um, one reason just might have been for hygiene reasons. Um, some of these animals, basically God might have been saying, look, they're not really fit for human consumption. Maybe he was saying, listen, some of these animals, if you eat them, they might make you sick or they might make you unwell. You know, I can't imagine eating a rat would be very good for you. So there might have been hygiene reasons behind these, and actually throughout history, some scientists and some um, people who are involved in food nutrition, they've done studies to see if any of these meats would be dangerous, and some of them aren't too good for you. So there might have been something about hygiene in it, and some Christians will tell you that's all the reason, But, but I don't think that's fully it. In fact, I don't think that's it at all, because if these foods were dangerous, then why would Jesus say they're okay to eat in the New Testament? So I don't think it is hygiene, but some people think it's for hygiene reasons. Um, Some people then think that there's just a lot of symbolism in here. And they read things into these animals. And what they think is that God's trying to teach his people how to live through what animals they're not allowed to eat and what animals they are. So the divided hoof, it's like God saying, I want you to remember that you're to be separate and divided from other people. The animals that chew the cud, it's symbolic. God wants you to chew over his word and regurgitate it and think about it and let it dwell in you richly. The dirty animals that eat the carcasses, you know, he wants you to stay away from unclean living. He wants you to stay away from sin. Some people read symbolic things into it. And again, I'm not so sure. I think the next one, there's definitely something in it but I don't think it's the key one. I think the next one is, some people think it's just arbitrary. It's simply God telling his people what they're to do. It's simply God teaching his people obedience. It's God saying, listen guys, I know that you come to worship me here at the tabernacle, but I have a say in your everyday life. I have something to say about how you live your everyday life. I have something to say even about what you have for your dinner. I am the God who's not just worshipped in the tabernacle occasionally. I am the God of the everyday who you're to revere and obey and listen to. Maybe these laws were just arbitrary to remind people that God is a God not just of Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now maybe it's some of these reasons I'm not saying it's not at all, but, but there's definitely one reason it definitely was for. These laws about food were to help God's people with their holiness. These rules were helpful for holiness. If you turn back to the passage and just scan down to verse 45 with me, will you? So God gives all of these rules about what they are and not allowed to eat. And then look what he says in verse 45. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. It's interesting, isn't it? At the end of the food laws, God says, Listen, remember what I've done for you. I've taken you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And I am now your God and you are now my people and now I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be distinct. I want you to be different. I don't want you to be like the nations around you. I want you to be a distinct and different people. I want you to reflect me and my difference. I want you to reflect my character. I want you to reflect my holiness. Be holy, he says. Because I am holy. Marty, you're losing us here. What on earth has this got to do with holiness? How do these laws help them to be holy? Well, there's two ways they were going to help them be holy. And the first thing these laws were going to do, it was going to help them to protect their holiness from pollution or corruption. Do you know this is not the first place in the Bible that there's a food law put in place? Can you think of where a food law has been put in place before this? Right in Genesis chapter 2 or 3. What did God say? What was the only command he gave Adam and Eve? It was a food law, wasn't it? He said, listen, Adam and Eve, Of all of the trees and all of the fruit and all of the vegetables, you can eat as much as you want. Here is a whole paradise that you can eat from, but there is one thing you must not eat. Just one. One unclean food. One food you're not allowed to have. The fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first law. It was a food law. And when they listened to Satan, and when they dined with Satan, if you like, And when they ate the food forbidden, they were polluted and corrupted, and sin came into their life. They offended God, and they were polluted with sin for the first time. And you see, God's people, they were going to go to the land of Canaan. And in the land of Canaan, there were people who worshipped all sorts of awful gods. There were people there who worshipped a god called Molech, of whom they sacrificed children to. And all of the people who worship these other gods, they ate the pig. And they ate all of these types of animals that God says that his people are not to eat. And so one of the reasons why God gave them these rules is so that they couldn't really socialize with these people they were going to meet. They couldn't go to a Canaanite, Moloch-worshipping person's house for dinner and sit down and eat with them. If they couldn't eat the food, they couldn't be involved in worshipping these gods and associating with these people. And if they couldn't associate with these people, then they weren't going to be corrupted by their ideas and their thoughts and their attitudes. This was a boundary to protect them. These laws were a boundary to stop them having relationships with these people and being corrupted. So it was a way of protecting them. And then it was also a way of making them distinct. It was a way for them to stand out. It was a way for them to say, listen, in this culture where you all eat camels and you all eat these things, we're different, we're God's people. And we're distinct and we're different and we're going to follow God and trust God. It was a way of being distinct in their holiness. You see that in the life of Daniel, don't you? Daniel further on in the Bible He's taken as a a captive to Babylon. He's in exile. And the king says, Okay, lads, here's your dinner. Here's all the meats of the palace. Daniel says, Hey, I, I can't eat that and defile myself. And he makes a stand and he shows right there and then that he is different. I think these laws were given to protect people's holiness to stop them being corrupted by the influence of people they might have dinner with in the land they were going to and i think it was also a way for them to be distinct but what about us what have they got to do with us Um, i love the idea of never having to diet again i don't know if you ever like that idea i mean i like the seafood diet you see food and eat it but, but the thought of actually dieting, the thought of restricting what I'm eating, I don't really like that thought. And the wonderful thing is for us as Christians is that this, these dietary laws, they're no longer relevant for us. They're no longer binding on us. Jesus himself declares all food clean. And then you saw it in our reading with Peter. The sheet came down with all of these foods on it, and God said, don't call anything pure that I've made clean. These laws are are no longer binding upon us. And there's two reasons for that. The first reason is that God now wants us to build relationships with people who don't believe the same thing as us. You see, we now have the gospel. And the gospel is for the world. The gospel is for the nations. The gospel is for the Muslim. The gospel is for the Jew. The gospel is for the Hindu. The gospel is for the atheist. The gospel is for our friends who we work with. The gospel is for our family who are distant from us. The gospel is for everyone. And so these food laws, they don't longer apply to us because God now wants us to go and build relationships with people and give them the gospel. That was the implication of Acts chapter 10, wasn't it? God said, go to Cornelius. Go into the Gentile's house. Go and sit with him and tell him about me. So these laws, they they no longer apply because we are to go with the gospel. But the second reason they no longer apply is because we're to be holy and distinct in a different way. We're not to be holy in our outward actions, but our inward heart. We're to be holy not by avoiding things, certain foods and and certain things. We're to be holy by what we say and what we think and what we do. We're to have clean words and clean hearts and clean minds and clean lives. We're now to be distinct in how we live. It's our character that should set us apart as holy. Not what we do and don't do with certain types of food. This morning, maybe you're challenged by that. I know I am. I can relate to Isaiah when he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. I, I, I can relate to feeling not that I'm clean, not that I'm holy, but I'm sinful. And maybe you can relate to that too, but the great news is that Jesus is the one who cleans us up. When we trust in him, we're made holy and clean. And when we keep trusting in him, he'll make us holy in our practice and in our words and in our actions. The food laws don't apply because we're to go with the gospel and we're to be holy in a completely different way. You see, the call to holiness, it still applies to us. First Peter chapter 1 says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Peter quotes Leviticus chapter 11. We're to be holy. We're to be distinct and different in this world. I wonder this morning, do you need to set some boundaries to protect you from being corrupted? I wonder this morning, are you someone, and you want to live a holy life? You want to live God's way. You want to please God. You really do want that, but you find yourself being pulled off In other directions. Maybe there's certain people and and they pull you off away from God. Maybe there's certain things you watch on TV and they pull your heart away from God. Maybe there's certain music you listen to and it puts ideas in your head which are contrary to the way of God. Maybe this morning you need to put up some boundaries to protect your holiness. This morning the food laws don't apply but we're called to be a holy people and this morning I want to encourage you to leave here if nothing else just remembering verse 45. Be holy because I am holy. Let's pray together. Father, we live in such an alien time compared to the time of Leviticus. And a lot of what we've read and even heard might have been confusing for us this morning. But Lord, what is very clear is that you call us to be a holy people because you are a holy God and we belong to you. Father, pray for us that those areas of our lives which we know are unclean and not pleasing to you, I pray that through the sanctifying work of your spirit that you would clean us up. Give us a desire to rid ourselves of uncleanness, unclean words, unclean thoughts, unclean attitudes. Lord, give us a desire to live holy and godly lives. And Lord, you know that we will feel. God's people in Leviticus, they lived every day becoming clean and unclean. You know that we will feel every day to live completely clean lives. And so help us delight and trust in Jesus, the one who has made us perfectly holy in your sight and the one who will work in us to make us holy in our words, thoughts and deeds. Lord, encourage us this morning. Help us to be holy in the week ahead, distinct and different in the world we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.